0: This Hello, everyone. This is so important for me to talk about. Um, this happened six years ago, but it's still very important. This was Christian ministers Urge Congress to Save Religious, the Word Network on Comcast. This is by Julie Brown Patton, uh, January 30, 2017, 1121 a.m. East Coast time, news at churchgospelherald.com. So this happened in 2017. Christian ministers went to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Wednesday to appeal to congressional members about Comcast Corporation's recent actions to decrease or cease distribution of the Word Network, the largest African American religious network in the world that was reaching three billion people around the globe. On November 11, 2016, Comcast executives sent a two-letter, a two-sentence letter to the word network stating it will no longer offer the channel to millions of subscribers and 456 Comcast systems Mm. that really does um, make me think that often in the world of cable news uh, packaging channel business um. How If you're a black media outlet of a channel, there's a high likelihood that you'll get removed without explanation if you're a white um media outlet of a channel then they'll give you plenty of reasons they'll do everything they can to kiss the ring they'll go you know forwards and backwards for you and they'll bend over backwards for you and they will accommodate all your accommodations The in mind if you're white You have reasonable accommodations If you're black You have unreasonable accommodations So you're unworthy of any kind of accommodation whatsoever Mm. And I noticed that A lot of Christian ministers only go to Capitol Hill If their channel is about to be taken away Or it's about abortion Or gay people or trans people But they don't usually go to Capitol Hill When it comes to people with disabilities People who have been raped and suffers of domestic violence, and those who get sex traffic, that's very concerning to me too. Then it further, it further goes on to say, according to the Word's website, its program are seen in more than 200 countries, reaching viewers in Europe, Africa, Asia, Australia, and Americans with nearly 93 million homes in the United States alone. Based on the letter, the word network was slated to stop airing yesterday in U.S. communities such as Washington D.C., Philadelphia, Baltimore, Houston, San Francisco, Denver, Boston, Na- in Minneapolis, St. Paul, reports, Market Watch. Wow. So these have you know basically a lot of black homes would be without a channel that they know in their heart is therapeutic to them. Um, so it's basically the outlawing of black expression, um, the outlawing of black dignity, black civility, um, the outlawing of black brilliance, the outlawing of Black arts, mm. the outlawing of black hearts, black minds, black bodies, black souls, and black memories. The outlawing of black touch, black taste, black smell, black hearing, and black sight, too. Then it says, to induce Comcast to abandon his plan, the ministers met with nearly a dozen congressional leaders and regulatory officials to voice concerns and supports. Yahoo Finance. This situation is unlike any other Comcast dispute that has ever been brought to Congress because it's not about money, said Kevin Adele, founder and CEO of the Word Network. The Word Network makes its programming available to Comcast and other cable providers at no cost, even though our network has a large and devoted audience. Comcast is following the form, not the substance of the conditions of the merger deal with NBC Universal," stated Yahoo. The Memorandum of Understanding, which was signed by the NAACP, National Urban League and the National Action Network, reportedly provided for more African-American programming, not less. The Word Network representatives reportedly are reviewing legal options with the FCC, including looking at the 28 full power TV stations, reviewing their license for lack of candor, being socially responsible to the African-American community. Also under review will be retransmission agreements to affiliates. That all makes me think that um, when it comes to the world of business and the church world, often. they don't create their own cable news channel that's what that's what i think Christians should be doing create your own cable news channel and think higher than just a network it's like wait if comcast can be a created secular cable news channel we should be creating our own cable news channel we should be creating our own cable news um And just put all Christian content on all of them. That way, you're not overly dependent on the secular world for sharing the gospel of Jesus. If you create your own, you dictate everything. Well, technically, in this case, God inspires you to create your own according to their belief. Therefore, God dictates everything through them. It's like if you're a Christian... You have to think that way. If the secular world can create their own systems, why can't why won't y'all create y'all own systems? We going to create our own cable news. That way, we don't have to worry about secular people trying to kick us off. Their stuff, if it's their stuff, they can do that. But if it's your stuff, they can't do that because it's all yours. It's not all theirs. Then it says we will reach out to the municipalities where they have a charter to disclose our findings of their treatment to the African-American community and work with the local church groups in these communities to revoke their chapters, if necessary, stated. Rev. Sharpton now last week in defense of the word network. On January 4th, 2017, Sharpton, founder of National Action Network, sent an open letter to Comcast expressing concern that the company is undermining previous commitments made by the company to increase its roster of diverse programmers, also strengthen existing diverse programmers, it seems to me the removal of programming targets African-American, African-American community is the exact opposite of extension of such programming, wrote Sharpton. He said many people rely on the Word Network for daily religious and spiritual edification. Um... Sharpton said a letter from Jennifer Gasky, SVP of Comcast Content Acquisition, to notify the Word Network on, of the change gave no explanation for the surprising move and has caused deep concern within the African American community. Wow. And it also makes me think church people have to be careful who they do business with. See, that's another thing, reason why they should create their own. Because if you're a Christian and you're choosing to do business with the world, understand that they're not going to fully be on board with kingdom values because they're the secular world. So I'm not saying Christians can't ever do business the secular world because in many cases you have to in order to be able to get the gospel out, in order to be able to help the church's Great Commission mission. So it's inevitable that you have to. But also, after a while, once you make enough money, like millions, billions of dollars, then you save that money and say, hey, thank you for helping us get our feet wet. Now we're going to be able to wet our own feet. And make sure that we control everything. You can still do business, secular kind of certain things. For example, um, let's say you need help feeding people, clothing people. You need help housing people. You need help with, uh, you know, medical care for people. You need help with taxation. Um, then you can... Um, Definitely business with secular entities who specialize in that stuff. As long as they're good-hearted people, then y'all can have the theology conversation other time. When it's time to take care of people, you just got to take care of people. And theological differences, y'all got to sort that out after people are taken care of. Then y'all can have that talk. But I feel like the Christian community should really have their own everything. I'm not giving a license to discrimination, though, when it comes to the secular world, the faith-based world, no discrimination at all. What I'm saying is is that um, it's so important that if you're really for the gospel, then everything about the deal that... You sign should be easily explained to church people. Okay, why would you sign that contract? Oh, this, uh, uh, you know, and what and where did you get the biblical inspiration to sign that particular deal? You want that deal to be easily explained to faith-based people, and it quickly makes sense to them. We don't want them going, you know what. I'm having biblical doubts about that deal. I'm going to check with the Bible. I'm going to check with God because there's something unholy about this deal. You don't want that to happen. Then it says, in a separate development Wednesday, former president CEO of the NAACP, Ben Jealous, sent a letter to Comcast David Cohen to reiterate Sharpton's concerns. Jealous was a signatory to the 2010 memorandum of understanding which Comcast pledged to increase diversity in the program in the programming it carries in this letter joe states the largest african-american religious network in the world will be removed from over seven million Comcast subscribers it seems to me that this undoing violence a 2010 memorandum of understanding it runs contrary to the commitment of increased african-american programming citing these type of issues during their meetings the ministers urged members of congress to act and demand answers from the cable giant about its treatment of the word network the Word Network is a fixture in the lives of many members' of its constituency, says Adele. If allowed to proceed with this cruel and unwarranted plan, Comcast will be dealing a devastating blow to the African-American community. The Word Network airs programming from religious leaders such as Bishop T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Bishop Paul Martin, Joseph Prince, George Bloomer, um, and Dorinda Clark Cole. It was launched in 2000 and is headquartered in Southfield, Michigan. The Word Network is is the indisputed source for urban ministries and gospel music, broadcasting national and international ministries, gospel music, um, again, it repeated itself again, interview shows, religious conventions, special events, and produces original content with their television studio. Um, some original program includes, but not limited to, Rejoice in the Word with Bishop George Bloomer, the Empowerment Encounter, Dr. Medina Pullings, live with Dr. Medina Pullings, um, the Threshing Floor, Dr. Juanina Bynum. Let the healing begin with Bishop Greg Davis and the Gospel According to Dorinda with Dr. Dorinda Clark Cole. The Word Network offers family-friendly programming You're simply available in the United States through TV, Comcast, AT&T, U-Verse, Time Warner, Cable, Bright House, Cox, and a host of other cable operators. Wow. Um... It just makes me think about how we have to be careful of the specific businesses we do business with. Um, I'm not saying everybody will always be fully happy in a contract they sign because when you're dealing with certain people that won't be that's usually not the case there's gonna be something about the contract that you wish wasn't there as long as it's not detrimental it it is what it is as long as it's minor but if it's major the uh, disagreements don't sign the contract if it's minor disagreements sign the contract you know it's it's no different than congress no one's fully happy with any bill republicans and democrats so they just keep making bills to eventually get all of what they want. That's what Democrats, Republicans do. Um, I feel like, however, if you're a Christian, it's more of a sensitive concern because I understand that when people are of Jesus... There's a special, unique set of requirements you have to live by, biblically speaking. Because you can do businesses with other Christian entities and you have a lot of discord between Christian business leaders who weren't fully happy with it, with the deals they signed with each other. So I'm not saying that if you do business with other Christian entities that it'll be sugar rainbows no in that world there's hurt feelings business wise contractually speaking and um what I'm saying is be careful whether you're secular faith-based be careful with doing business with any entity and, and individuals Um, Because what you sign Voices your character So I felt like you know I had to read that because It comes to show me that That's more of an incentive for people to Be more innovative and inventive And saying you know what If we're a black community, which we are, then owning our own is a form of black community organizing. Um, It's a form of... It's also a form of creating more... Black community enterprises, too. It creates more black jobs. Um, And it can also help with black home ownership. More black people living in their own houses. Our own houses and black. Um, You know, our own black homes and black houses and... um, I feel like that kind of world for me it can also create more black daycare centers black after-school programs, black community centers. They can reduce crime in our communities. That's why having our own is so important. Steen in Indianapolis, why the televangelist is so beloved and controversial, this is by Dwight Adams, Indy Star, August 9th, 2018, uh, 843 AM, East Coast Time, updated at 7, 16 PM, East Coast Time, August 19, 2018. It then says, Joel Osteen brought his show to Indianapolis recently. <laughs> the popular televangelist and his wife and co-pastor Victoria presented a Night of Hope on August 10th at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. The Osteens reached millions of viewers through weekly televised services at Houston-based Lakewood Church, which has at least 40,000 members, as well as Joel's best-selling books, worship events, and radio show. (sighs) Some people will say that they preach a positive, prosperity-based Christian message based on hope and emphasizing God's love and generosity that appeals to many. Some people would say that they preach a uplifting message that doesn't have a tinge of materialistic emphasis to it. So many people have um, multiplicity of views on the Osteens and Lakewood Church. I felt the need to be honest about that. However, controversy has followed in their footsteps. Here's what we know. How Joel Osteen got his start. Joel Osteen is one of six children of John Osteen, a former Southern Baptist pastor who founded Lakewood Church in a converted feed store in 1959 and ran until his death in 1999. John Osteen noticed his son's charisma early on, but Joel resisted his father's urging to take the pulpit before relenting and preaching his first sermon on January 17th, 1999. Wow, January 17th is a very special day for me because um, two years later, my grandma left this earth, um, sometimes when we um, really are brought into religious families, there is a dynasty thing that happens intentionally and unintentionally where they feel like, hey, who's better to care for my ministry and my church than my own children my children wouldn't do me dirty, so that kind of thinking doesn't exist just in um, non-religious families, but in religious families, too. Non-religious families, they'll say, who better to run my buffet when I'm gone than my kids, than my spouse, so that's a human nature thing. Then it says, six days later, John Osteen died of a heart attack, and soon after, Joel began preaching regularly. Within a year, he took over as senior pastor of Lakewood Church, which has since grown from 5,000 members to more than 40,000 members. He has risen to worldwide fame, including being named by Barbara Walters as one of her top, most fascinating people of 2006. So, when I get out of Joel Osteen, I met the man... um, firm handshake. He was nice, pleasant man. Um, taller in person, at least six feet tall. Um, very heartwarming to people. I've seen how he treated first-time visitors. I was in the line, and I remember sitting directly behind him and his wife. It was, I think it was August 3rd, 2019, on a Saturday night. We were in Houston. That um that week and um very nice people, the church and the hostings, very nice people and um I remember um you know saying I'm from D C and they took me to um The seating behind the Osteens, that wasn't my intent. I was just telling the people, hey, we're first time visitors from DC, and they were that hospitable. So Lakewood Church, I was there for about two, three hours. Very kind parishioners. Um, you know, very kind. Um, church folks, very kind, so I'm just being honest about what I saw, and I was in their libraries reading their books, I was reading Osteen's books and the books of other televangelists and other Christian authors who aren't televangelists, and I was just touring the whole facility pretty much, um, I enjoyed my time there, um, So I'm not going to badmouth a place that I actually saw them being kind to people. It was legitimate. It was real. Um, So let me keep going. It says, how large is Lakewood Church? Lakewood Church is now the largest church in America with more than 50,000 members, according to ChristianPost.com. The 600,000 square foot, 16,000 seat church is located in the former compact center where the NBA Houston Rockets once played. NBA stands for National Basketball Association, basically professional basketball players. It seats 17,000 people and its church service is broadcast more than 7 million weekly. So um overall the vibe I got from the Austin's is that they really do care about God. The way they preach You could tell, in my view, that I didn't get a vibe of demonic intent. I didn't get a weird vibe from any of them. I got a vibe of, wow, I felt authenticity of like, wow, these people, the way they treated me, I saw them treat other people as kind to them as they did me, so I'm like, okay, because I'm the type of person not enough to be nice to I me. Mean, I need to see being nice to other people. So that made me think highly of them. Like, okay, this is not a put on. This is how they are for real. Like, the when they joke, it's from the heart. When they smile, it's from the heart. Um When they um, talk to you, it's as if they really want to know you. Not to be, I'm not saying be nosy, busy, by, that's not them. But I'm saying that when they talk to you, you feel as if they really are trying their best to understand you and show you compassion. So I'm not saying this to be saying this. This is how I really felt. And a lot of people who met Lakewood would say the exact same things um it says joel osteen's net worth and what he says about as well joel osteen who has a reported net worth of more than 50 million dollars no longer accepts a two hundred thousand dollars salary to which he's entitled as senior pastor of lakewood church is that he earns his money from lucrative speaking engagements across the u.s and sales from his 14 books many of which have sold millions of copies of land on the new york times bestseller list since his first book your Best Life Now, Seven Steps Living at Your Full Potential quickly rose number one. Remain on the self-help bestseller list for more than two years and has sold more than eight million copies. Um, the Preacher with the Watts smile. I think that means a, a joyful smile. I would have personally put that as a better word. Also takes in an estimated forty-three million dollars a year collections at his church, according to the Orlando Sentinel. Viewers send millions more by mail, even though he doesn't ask for money during his broadcast. Um, I respect that about Joel Osteen—not asking for money, even though yeah, churches need money. But the way he goes about it in that way, I respect because when you bless people. They'll give to you even when you don't solicit, we don't say anything. It's like a lot of times, if you're a good person, sometimes people just give you what you need, even though you don't think to ever say anything. They just get that vibe from, okay, this is what you need, so I got you. And $400 million a year collection at this church. And what I think about that is that. When it comes to some churches, I recognize that um, as long as you spend most of the money on the least of these, those who've been traumatized, abused, victimized, brutalized, demonized, dehumanized, and your evangelism is centered on the rehabilitation of the dispossessed and the oppressed, I love to put those words together, as long as you spend most of that money on you don't shy away from the hurt and anguish that people have gone through and they easily sense Jesus from you, then it's okay to make that kind of money every year. Your church and staff and the members, everybody. It's okay for that to happen as long as you spend most of that money caring for the needy the way Jesus intended. Now, if you make all that kind of money, And it's all about greed. Jesus hates that. So, I don't mind churches making millions and billions and trillions a $100,000 every year or every month or every week. As long as you do right with that money. If you do wrong with that money, then it's wrong to even accept a penny, period. (sighs) Then it says... The Christian Post interviewed Osteen in 2013 asking why he didn't take a salary. Um, not everybody can do that. It's not practical, Osteen said. But for us, it was important to me because I don't need to. And I think it's important to me because being in the public eye, there's a lot of scrutiny, and people think, well, he's just doing it for money. This way, I can say I don't do any of this for money. God has blessed us in other ways. It's really part of my message that you honor God and you stay faithful. You don't know where God's going to take you. I don't tell people that God's going to make them rich, but you don't know how God's going to bless you. I respect that. That is a perfect answer. Um, That makes me have a high respect for him in that regard because he is sensitive to people. He's sensitive to their concerns. He's sensitive to how they're impacted, the impartation that occurs to them. And he's saying, hey, I really have a heart for the Lord. I didn't know all this was going to happen in terms of the money, the wealth, and the fame. Because Joel Osteen is more of a reserved man from what I saw. His wife is a little more extroverted, from what I saw Joel Osteen. He'll talk to you but he's more of by nature a background kind of person more introverted his wife is more outgoing and sociable no that those are just personal observations that many people who've been at lakewood will tell you that and from what i witnessed is that in that church um What I really got out of that was that's why Joe Osteen at first was like, I really don't wanna take on this that my dad got. That's what he felt, like, hey, you know, I'm not really a up a front out there person, but his dad was like, No, you, you you do have that ability and you and people need to see that so God can be honored and glorified. I remember him saying something along those lines when he would preach. Then it says, Osteen also spoke about his wealth and televangelist, sometimes negative image to Oprah Winfrey in 2012 interview at his home with a grand piano in the background. I'm not asking for money on television. I, I don't try to be slick. I try to be sincere. I just try to be who we are. You know, it's a battle we have to fight. We just feel that this is God's blessings. We're big givers. We live what we preach. We get, we've given millions of dollars. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a nice place to live and being blessed. See, there is a um, multiplicity of views on the concept of living large in the Christian world. Some will say if you do everything God's way, some people may be rewarded with living large by God. Then you have other christians who go but again we don't want to make it look like we're prostituting anybody or pimping anybody we don't want to make it look like we're pimping jesus prostituting jesus pimping people prostituting people so in that world some will say so how come secular people and, and non-christians get to live large why can't we then you have some christians who say well In the Bible, Jesus did not live large. Yeah, in heaven, he does because it's his. But on earth, he chose not to live that way. His way of living large was surrendering to the father. That's how they that's what they call God. And they'll say, well, you know, he um, chose to surrender all his rights to live large just so we can live large eternally with him. So in the Christian world, there's multiplicity of views. My view is I don't have a problem with materialism, whether you're secular faith-based. However, everything has to be acquired and maintained in the name of integrity. I value character over materialism. I value character over giftings and talents so some people with noble character living large happens to them and i'm like well i can't knock that because everything you got because your character now you have plenty of noble characters who do everything the right way and they don't live large for a myriad of reasons and that's cool too so i don't create a character battle i'm not creating a giftings battle because you have people with all kinds of gifts who live large, larger some don't yeah, have people with, um, you know, with materialism. It's all about do you use that materialism to care for the poor, the low income, the homeless, the unemployed, the underemployed, those who have little, no resources. So I don't mind living large as long as you don't rip anybody off who's in need now if you're living large and ripping people off in need i have a problem with you living large because you're okay with people living small in terms of i can't eat i can't drink i can't bathe i can't i can't care for my kids i don't have health care that's problematic to me so I can understand how both sides feel on the issue. It's a very sensitive issue. Um, personally, I choose not to live large because I know in my heart it would be hard for me to relate to the um, disenfranchised and marginalised. If I did, i like, it would distract me from loving people who are disenfranchised like me and marginalized like me i will always consider myself to be an underdog no matter how good i got it in life because i don't want to lose that as my core identity so would i ever live in a mansion no yacht no jewelry no luxury luxurious cars no luxurious clothing no Would I ever, um, Would I ever live with butlers and maids? No. Um... Would I ever live in a house with 60 or more rooms or just too many rooms? No, it's not my heart. So, would I be a billionaire? I know I will be, I could see myself being a trillionaire. Um, I can see myself being multi-billionaire and even multi-trillionaire, but would I ever live like a typical wealthy person? No. Would I ever have a gated a gated community? No. I mean, I have protection, so I'm, I'm okay. I just, I wouldn't want to have, like, you go through the gate and you have a guard trying to see if you're healthy or not. Like, I I would have a security team, and I feel like, I'm trying to I would balance having security, but I don't wanna live like a a typical big ball or shot caller. I'm not attracted to that. I'm not attracted to the living large thing. I believe that my empathy is my living large. I'm living large by caring for people in need. To me, that's my definition of living large. So then it says, how much is Joel Osteen's house worth? The Osteen's bought a $10.5 million home in 2010, in a wealthy Houston suburb called River Oaks. The 17,000-square-foot home located on nearly two acres is reported to have six bedrooms and bathrooms, five fireplaces, three elevators, a guest house, and an outdoor pool and pool house. Um, for me... I personally could not live like that. I'm not knocking those things. I personally can't do it because I want to spend most of, I I want to, I feel like it it would distract me from compassion because I I like, I like how Jesus lived. Um, What I have adopted from Jesus is I want to be the kind of person that stays in people's homes, like, you know, healthy, appropriate sleepovers, you know. I want to live under the householders of other people like Jesus did. I want to depend on the kindness of kind strangers like Jesus did. And I want my basic human needs to be cared for by kind strangers and kind people who are with me like Jesus did. That's that's attractive to me because I feel like I'm better taken care of that way. When you're so sweet to people, people make sure you're never without, that you're never... Hungry, thirsty, that you're never without a social life, that these are the type of people they're going to make sure that I date, and to be honest, they're going to make sure I never go a year without sex. Hey, people love me like that, so I want to live like Jesus did in terms of people take care of every need, and, you know, that's the kind of life I want to live. What I like about Dr. King, he chose to live in Chicago and dilapidated housing. I want to do that because I think that's what Jesus did. Um, then it says, what is the prosperity gospel? Why is Jell Osteen criticized for it? The prosperity gospel doesn't focus on hell or the negative effects of sin, but promotes a sunnier message, choosing to instead preach that God will reward his devout and generous followers with a healthy and financially prosperous life. It often links tithing, the practice of regularly giving part of one's earnings to the church, to a promise of prosperity. Well, um, Joel Osteen has personally said that's not the type of gospel he preaches. He's basically said that he preaches Jesus' gospel. Um, And Joel Osteen tends to preach positive, uplifting messages... Um he's an optimism type of preacher. From what you hear from him to talk about where you start is not how you finish. He preaches like that. Then he says, then it says according to his website, Jolie.com, he believes that as children of God we are overcomers and more than conquerors, and God intends for each of us to experience the abundant life he has in store for us. That's what he said. Um, Televangelism has been accused of ensnaring the poor and weak who can uh, at least afford to give their scant resources away to the church and has faced criticism for linking faith to material compensation and linking faith to all of your medical health issues will be cured if you believe strong enough. That's another controversial televangelism. I don't mind televangelism as long as you're not silent about rape culture and you actually have a church that does something about it. You're not silent about domestic violence and your church actually does something about that. You're not silent on racism and your church actually does something about that. You're not silent on adult abuse and child abuse and your church does everything they need to about both problems. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my concentration. Then it says the prosperity gospel, which was strongly associated with disgraced 1980s era televangelists such as Jimmy Swagger Jimmy and Tammy Faye Baker has been called an aberrant theology by Christianity Today, which is a huge media outlet in evangelical Christian circles. One liberal Christian magazine, The Christian Century, also has accused Osteen of neutering the Bible into digestible categories of self-help and self-improvement. But Osteen's mother, Dodie Osteen, has responded to the by saying, We don't preach the gospel sad, we preach it glad. Um. For me i um I feel that um I feel for 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 me when I look at um the kind of preaching, um there's a lot of different preaching styles. Some people are fire and brimstone in church. Some are like Joel Osteen, some are a mixture of both. Osteen with some fire and brimstone. Every preacher uh um Deals with the concepts of sin differently. Hell differently. Um, Every preacher has a different personality. So when you have diverse personalities, you're going to have diverse interpretations of how to go about controversial subjects. And some preachers feel like, well, people already know what's wrong in their lives. But if I preach an optimistic message, then God and that person will sort out what's wrong in their lives and God will convict them of whatever they need to stop doing in their lives and start doing other things in their lives that aren't the wrong things. So that's more of Joel Osteen's approach. Some preachers are like, hey, but we have to say everything the Bible says. The Bible is public about what's sinful was not. So we have to preach that way. Some preachers are like, I understand where you're coming from, but again, I know that people know right from wrong because of what God tells them. So I don't some peop preachers are like I don't need to tell them what God already told them. If God already told you, then me saying anything else wouldn't help the situation and some preachers are more like they'll preach on controversial issues but they don't bash or condemn it's more of communicating it in a way that doesn't come off as discriminatory that's how some other preachers deal with it so preaching is not easy And it says, why do people like Joel Osteen? Osteen's charisma and his message appeals to a lot of people, including celebrities. He and his wife, Victoria, pack tens of thousands of fans into stadiums around the country with their a Night, of, a Night of Hope events like the one coming to Indianapolis. He comes across in television interviews and broadcasts of his church services as a seemingly genuine, occasionally earnest, and always enthusiastic friend, which I saw in person. Even if he sometimes seems more like a motivational speaker than a preacher. Some people feel that way. Some people don't. His church celebrates a diverse congregation drawing from a variety of socioeconomic and racial backgrounds. Each week, more than 7 million viewers watch his church services. Um, Well, I do think that Joel Osteen... I don't get the vibe from Joel Osteen that he's purposely doing anything wrong. I do think he has excellent intentions from what I heard from him, and I've read his books. He really does have a a heart for people, and it's evident. I feel like what he's trying to do is... From my honest estimation of him, um, he's really trying to do something that I think more evangelical people should do. It's like, okay, tell people how things are going to get better. Because I feel like people already know right from wrong. People already know good and bad. People know good and evil. People know that. People already know. But they want to know, how can I overcome though? How can I do better, talk better, think better, feel better, do better? Okay, I already know my struggles, my issues, my problems, my conflicts, I already know what's going wrong. Tell me, show me how to do right. And I think Joel Osteen is preaching more like that. He's like, hey, I'm trying to show people how to rise out of dysfunction and rise into function. That is what I get from Joel Osteen. And every word I've read of him, and every interview I've seen of him, and every time I've seen him preach on TBN, um, and I saw him preach in person, he comes across as a guy who, a man who, um, It's trying to show people that I want to talk to you in a way that's respectful to you. Because Joel Osteen does care about people's humanity in terms of, like, how he talks to people. He tries his best to be well-balanced because a lot of preaching and a lot of preachers are poorly balanced, poorly rounded, poorly unified, and poorly adjusted. Joel Osteen is like, well... He'll talk about the tough times in life, but he he tries his best to be a well-balanced, well-rounded, well-adjusted, well-unified preacher in preaching. That's what he strives to do. And um, I really do feel like a lot of what he says is about... He's... He's open about his faith, so he doesn't hide his faith in God. He doesn't hide being a Christian. It's impossible. He's a televangelist. So televangelists, they millions of people know, yes, you follow Jesus because the TBN logo on the right bottom screen gives it all away. All, all people got to do is Google it. Trinity. Okay. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. Bam. People know, okay, you're a Christian because i 'm what I'm googling in, in the logo, so he doesn't hide his faith now, and at the same time I think what he's trying to do is say, you know what we in the Christian world we have to focus more on talking up to people not down to people talking up to people is talking to people not at people because in his mind and I and I do like this about him that he's more like hey he he he, he even understand you know hey he, he like he and I we understand the complexities of life which causes people to do certain things he's more of hey if I talk to you in a way that you understand your heart will be convicted to, do, to make better decisions and have better outlooks on life. So that's his way of addressing the concept of sin. And as for hell, his way of saying, but what he's really saying is there's hell on earth. If I help you overcome hell on earth, you'll have a much better rapport with God which means you won't be fearing hell Because you, you, you'll you feel like God is for me and against me So that's his way of Dealing with it which I, I respect that About him um, It says what did Joel Osteen's church do During Hurricane Harvey in late August 2017 Osteen was criticized on social Media after it said that his church Turned away people Seeking shelter from Hurricane Harvey a devastating storm that killed 89 people, causing $126.3 billion in damage and displaced more than 30,000 people. After a Facebook post by the church saying that it was inaccessible due to severe flooding, the church soon after announced plans to act as a collection site for Houston-area shelters. We know the need is great, that much is clear, a church statement said. We, don't, we do not yet know all the ways we can help. It later announced that it was receiving people distributing supplies to the needy. How this notion got started that we're not it shows so we're not taking people in is a false narrative. Osteen said in an emotional video that it released to the controversy. We always wanted to take people in, our doors our doors were open, the church has always been open. Um I feel like um Yeah, I remember that controversy six years ago, and um, I think everybody learned from it in terms of the timing of information, and um, that is very important to... If you have enough space to accommodate people and that if you have enough ways to um, make sure that um, people are taken care of, you can, I think it may have been miscommunication. It may have been confusion. It may have been not knowing what to do. In human nature, you don't know what to do. You don't do anything. Or maybe they're trying to figure out what to do but maybe they weren't giving time quick enough to react um but i can understand (coughs) excuse me how that could hurt people's feelings because they're like hey y'all are a church of means a lot of us don't have means so i can understand both perspectives i think you know That people should never do anything out of saving face. It's okay to say, hey, we made a mistake. We're going to do better from now on. Um, And not having all the facts does play a role in how some people feel. Um, So I think everybody grew from that situation. Um... It says What is Joel Osteen's stance on homosexuality? Joel Osteen has generally tried to avoid Making public statements about gay marriage Or homosexuality After an interview on Larry King Now in January 2014 The late Larry King asked Osteen What his views were on homosexuality Osteen replied The same that they've been I believe that scripture says it's the same But I've always followed it up by saying You know what? We're not against Anybody, um, that's what I've always had issues with sec. Um, the media, in terms of you only talk to Christians about gender subjects, sexuality subjects, reproductive subjects, but you don't talk to them about anything else, you don't talk to them about how. Uh, You don't talk to them about their, you know, fighting against wealth inequality, income inequality, economic inequality. You don't ask them about their community service projects. You don't ask them about their international humanitarianism projects. You don't ask them about how do they take care of people who don't have it to give. But you only talk to them just to create this image of them being discriminators. I've always found that to be heart, heartless. Like, you're going to talk to Christians. Make sure you talk to them about, okay, how does your church care for the community? Surrounding communities and communities not surrounding you. Start, you know, do that instead of, um, only have you on here just to make it look like y'all a bunch of bullies. Um. But King pressed Osteen for more explanation about his position, asking if you're calling it a sin how could it be seen if we don't know what caused it? You don't know why you're heterosexual. Osteen said, there's a lot of things, there that I don't understand, so I just don't want to preach on it, preach about it. It only comes up during the interviews. Wow. Wow. That made me think about some preachers don't preach on controversial issues because no matter how hard they try, they just can't wrap their heads around it. So they feel like, why would I preach on something I just truly can't understand? I don't want to be unnecessarily ignorant. I don't want to have my ignorance harm people. Then, you have Some preachers don't preach on controversial subjects because I don't want to lose money. I don't want to lose ministry donors. I don't want to lose my ministry. I don't want to lose my church. I don't want to lose my congregation members. They have some preachers don't preach on controversial issues because they feel like, well... I just want to focus on being a good Samaritan practicing the golden rule that Jesus mandated. yeah some preachers who don't preach on those subjects because they feel like it distracts people from Jesus to pit people against each other. So every preacher deals with those subjects very differently. King then asked Does gay marriage annoy you? Orstein responded, It doesn't annoy me from a spiritual point of view. I don't think it's, you know, what my faith would teach, but it doesn't annoy me. Those are hard subjects when you're in the church world. That's why I could not be a pastor. Um I could not be a preacher. I can't do it. Because some people want me to be hateful. Well, you're fi- you're 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 not fire and brimstone enough. You're too fire and brimstone. You're too loud. You're too quiet. You talk too much, you don't talk enough. You preach too much, you don't preach enough. You don't ha enough or you ha too much. You praise dance too much, you don't praise dance enough. You speak in tongues too much, you're not speaking in tongues enough. You're outside of a bar, which means we think we're drinking even though we know you weren't in the bar. Or we're gonna follow you around and stalk you to make sure you're not living life as sin as a preacher because we're like your inspector gadgets. We're your your we are like your detectives. It's weird in that world. It's just so strange. And then some will go, hey, you're not putting people in hell. You're not talking about sin. Or, hey, who are you to put people in hell? Who are you to to talk about sin like that? That world is way too confusing to me. And it says, how, and I just want to go on record. I am... I'm for gay marriage. I'm for transgender rights. I'm for... Reproductive rights and for abortion rights I just felt the need as a human rights person To say that so people know where I stand Let's keep going How did Joel and Victoria Osteen meet? Victoria Osteen worked at her mother's jewelry store While attending college in 1985 She said to her first met Joel When he came to the store to buy a new watch battery According to a feature story About Victoria in her book Love Your Life in Houston Lifestyles and Homes They married in nineteen eighty seven. and have two children, Jonathan and Alexandra, who work alongside their parents and minister at Lakewood Church. I think that's cool that they have a loving, happy family relationship. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, I've seen them at the church. Sweet people. Very sweet people. The kids are, like, cool people. Cool meaning just down-to-earth awesome people. Um, Then it says Where were they educated? Osteen graduated from Humboldt High School In Humboldt, Texas A suburb of Houston Um, He went on to study Broadcast communication at Oral Roberts University In Tulsa, Oklahoma Where Bishop Carlton Pearson Got his start in televangelism By being there And had his Azusa conference there Founded by its namesake and early televangelist Oral Roberts However, Osteen did not graduate, doesn't have a divinity degree either. In church, that is a very delicate issue because some people say, but, in, but Jesus didn't have a divinity degree and graduate, but he's the son of God. So it's all about divine education and divine education doesn't have to be seminary education, divinity school education. While some Christians like, yeah, the difference between son of God and you. You need to have a divinity school and seminary school education because we need to learn how to be Christian apologists. We need to learn how to academically and scholarly and scholastically and scientifically defend the Christian faith. My view is hey, as long as you embody the spirit of Jesus correctly and you know exactly what you're talking about. And You have all the qualities of Jesus Without being Jesus I say live and let live, man Just represent Jesus Well, that's my focus That's my concentration Then it says um, Victoria Eilf Osteen Was born in Huntsville, Alabama Where her father, Donald Eilf I'm sorry, Victoria Eilof Osteen was born in Huntsville, Alabama, where her father, Donald Eilof, was a mathematician for general electric working on J.E. Saturn rocket project team led by German rocket scientist Wernher von Braun. She moved with her family to Houston at the age of two, where her mother, Georgine Eilof, taught Sunday school, and her father was a deacon of the Church of Christ. Victoria studied psychology at the University of Houston, but didn't graduate. Sometimes people go to school and they figure out, hey, God don't want me to do this. A lot of Christians will tell you that. And there's a lot of Christians who... There's a plurality of views of um, controversial issues. Some Christians are for gay marriage, some are not. Some are for abortion rights, some are not. Some are for transgender rights, some are not. Some don't have a problem with homosexuality, and some do. This, These... Are the multiplicity of views in the evangelical Christian world? And it's true. Some Christians actually graduate from school because they're like, hey, God wanted me to do this all along. So that's why they finished strong graduate. So um Now part with this question. Why did God wait so long to send Jesus? There exists a messy plot hole in Christian theology that presents the point about why God waited so long to execute, quote unquote, his plan of universal salvation by the blood of Christ. We can almost imagine Jesus waiting in heaven, watching what was going on and practically begging his father that it was time for him to go to earth to save humankind instead century after century of chaos and suffering ensued um it then says for unknown reasons god not only allowed the fall he then allowed the post fall flawed earth full of suffering situation to persist for millennia with generation after generation inheriting The punishment for something that happened before recorded history. We're expected to accept that he had a grand but mysterious plan to give humankind another chance after the fall from paradise that, for unknown reasons required, amongst other things, the possibility of not communicating openly with humans like in the pre-fall days, instead mostly communicating via prophets with limited audience and allowing other religions to arise. Possibly... I say that because it feels like a conundrum. And then, flooding the earth to wipe, well, according to Genesis, flooding the world to wipe out the majority of earth's population Who, despite omniscience were told he regretted making or whatever non-literalists think this omnisodotal story symbolizes um, taking away humanity's common language to limit cooperation and communication or whatever non-literalists think this story of imposed division symbolizes cultivating a chosen people from the descendants of a guy willing to kill his kid on command rather rather than just treating all humans equally or whatever non-literaries think this story about rewarding attempted filicide and treating one ethnicity differently to other symbolizes allowing that chosen people to become enslaved for generations eventually freeing them and helping them conquer a new homeland through genocide or whatever non-literalists think that symbolizes. Um, well, why is any of this necessary for omnipotent being to redeem humankind? What logical reason could there be preventing an all-powerful God from redeeming humankind sooner rather than messing around with this stuff and waiting until the first century C E to make his big move? Christians will say that God had a good reason for delaying Jesus' mission, but skeptics will see this plot hole as a good reason to as a good reason to doubt the existence of Yahweh and Jesus, and it seems impossible to believe that omnipotent divine beings could be this incompetent. And then setting rules for the chosen people that allowed slavery and, and encourage sexism but ban harmless things like homosexuality, transgenderism, and um, LGBT LGBTQ plus culture, like cross-dressing, working on the Sabbath and wearing mixed fabrics. Yeah. Um, now you understand why My religious skepticism makes me skeptical of religion. Besides, the Bible endorses witch hunting in the Old Testament. Now you understand why I'm a critic of religion, and now you understand my criticism of religion. People found it easy to use the Bible to burn people at the stake, massacring the Anabaptists. force conversion in the form of, I'm murdering you into heaven, but I had to slaughter your sin nature before I get there first. And then... witch killing and then the crusades the Spanish Inquisition the Dark Ages Manifest Destiny the Atlantic Slave Trade um, Jim Crow segregation killing pagans Secularists. Muslims and Jews. Okay, there's more. Now I'm about to reveal more of my religious doubts. God endorses what he later condemns. In Genesis, God is okay with Abraham marrying his sister, Sarah, his father's daughter. But later in Leviticus, he condemns the same situation. Genesis chapter 20, verses 10 through 12. Abimelech also asked Abraham, what prompted you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, I thought to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place. They will kill me on account of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister. The daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Incestuous marriages? Divined? Lucas chapter 18, verse 9. You must not have sex relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter. Whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19, for in the list of commandments, including verse eight, chapter 18, verse 9. Therefore, anyone who commits any of these abominations must be cut off from among his people, except Abraham, divine incest, an incestuous deity. Ugh. This is a flagrant contradiction which should not occur in a God inspired book situations like this are inevitable within the authorships of numerous uninspired people divinely speaking otherwise we are left to consider why god changed his mind about a man marrying his father's daughter ugh then it says scriptures christians would like to to delete the bible is a hazard one for christians because although it contains a lot of material that they like will often recite in church and bible studies It also is full of a lot of embarrassing material. Here's a partial list of verses almost all Christians wish were not in the Bible. Here's a short list of verses from the Old and New Testaments that every believer would like to get rid of, but can't. These verses are listed on the end papers of the SAB book, which will be available (laughs) in November. Old Testament verses. Genesis chapter 19, verse 8. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out to you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Take, of, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Exodus chapter 21, verses 20 through 21. If a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod, and if he continue a day or two, he shall not be, puni- he shall not be punished, for he is his money. Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them hath committed an abomination that will surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 14. If a man take a wife and her mother, it is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire, both he and they. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16. He that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. Numbers chapter 11 verse 1. And when the people complained it, it it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord uh, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them. Numbers chapter twenty-one, verse six. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Numbers chapter thirty one, verses fifteen through eighteen. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. But all the women children that... As I left off, it says... Numbers chapter 31, verses 15 through 18. And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman that have known man by lying with him. But all the women children that have not known a man by lying with him keep alive for yourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 11 through 12. When two men strive together on with another, and the wife of the one putteth forth her hand and taketh him by the secrets, then thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39, 39 through 42. I kill, I wound, I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 2 through 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that, thy, that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen, sheep, camel, and ass. 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 27 David arose and went he and his men and slew of the Philistines 200 men and David brought their foreskins and Saul gave him Michal his daughter to wife 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 14 through 18 Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee unto thee shall surely die and the Lord struck the child on the seventh day that the child died Second Kings chapter two, verses 23 through 24. As he was going up by the way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, go up thou bald head, go up thou bald head. And he turned back and looked unto them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two, she bears out of the wood, came 42 bears out of the wood and tear and there came forth two, she bears out of the wood and tear. Tear forty and two children of them. Second Kings chapter nine, verses six through eight. Second Kings chapter nine, verse six through eight. Thus saith the Lord God, I will cut off from Abraham him that pisseth against the wall. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 14 to 15. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out. Psalm chapter 58, verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 26. I will feed them that oppress thee with thy own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. Jeremiah chapter 19 verse 9 I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters and they shall eat everyone the flesh of his friend. Jeremiah chapter 48 verse 10 curse be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Ezekiel chapter 23 verse 20 for she doeth upon their paramours whose flesh is as the flesh of asses and whose issue is like the issue of horses? Malachi chapter 2 verse 3 Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces. Matthew cha- now now at the New Testament verses. Matthew chapter 5 verse 29 to 30. If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, and if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is profitable for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Matthew chapter ten verse thirty-five to thirty-six. I, I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Matthew chapter ten verse thirty seven, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew chapter thirteen, verse twelve. Whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whoever hath not for from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Matthew CHAPTER thirteen verses thirteen through fifteen. Therefore speak I to them in parables, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 through 18. These sons shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Luke chapter fourteen verse twenty six. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yet in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter nineteen verse twenty seven. But those mine enemies, which would. Not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. John chapter 3 eight, verse 18 He that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3 verse 36 He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 20, verse 40, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29, the time is short, It, it remaineth, but that both they that have wives be as though they had none. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35 to 34. 34 to 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7-9 The Lord Jesus in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11-12 God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned. First Timothy chapter two, verse eleven through twelve. Let the women let the woman learn in silence with all subjugate with all. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Revelation chapter fourteen, verse three through four. The hundred and forty and four thousand, which were redeemed from the earth. These are. They which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth ascendeth up forever and ever. Revelation chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. The great winepress of the wrath of God was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. The fearful and unbelieving shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Revelation chapter 22 verse 20. Surely I come quickly. Unfortunately, other than using some deceptive translation trickery, Christians have no available mechanism to remove objectionable material from their scriptures. And as society progresses and matures, becoming more compassionate and ethical, the amount of unsavory material is growing over time. Even by now, the situation is severe. Christians are treading lightly and very few are now recommending that people should read the entire Bible. Leviticus bans 76 things. In case you're wondering if God sticks to the big picture, if he is concerned with details, reading the book of Leviticus and the Bible should remove all doubt. Here's chapter and verse on a more or less comprehensive list of things banned in the in the Leviticus book of the Bible. A decent number of them are punishable by death unless you're you're never unless you've never done any of them. And 54 to 56 are particularly tricky. Perhaps it's time to lay off quoting Levit, Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 for a while. Number one, burning any yeast or honey in offerings to God, chapter 2 verse 11. Failing to include salt and in offerings to God, chapter 2, verse 13. Eating fat, chapter 3, verse 17. Eating blood, chapter 3, verse 17. Failing to testify against any wrongdoing you've witnessed, chapter 5, verse 1. Failing to testify against any wrongdoing you've been told about, chapter 5, verse 1. Touching an unclean animal, chapter 5, verse 2. Carelessly making an oath, chapter 5, verse 4. Deceiving a neighbor about something trusted to them, chapter 6, verse 2. Finding lost property and lying about it, chapter 6, verse 3. Bringing unauthorized fire before God, chapter 10, verse 1. Letting your hair become unkept, chapter 10, verse 6. Tearing your clothes, chapter 10, verse 6. Drinking alcohol in holy places a bit of a problem for Catholics, this un. Chapter 10, verse 9. Eating an animal which doesn't both chew, cut, and has a divided hoof. Camel, rabbit, pig, for example, chapter 11, verses 4 through 7. Touching the carcass of any of the above problems here for rugby, chapter 11, verse 8. Eating or touching the carcass of any seafood without fins or scales, chapter 11, verses 10 through 12. Eating or touching the carcass of eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the comorot, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. Chapter 11 verses 13 through 19. Eating or touching the carcass of flying Insects with four legs unless those legs are jointed, chapter 11, verse 20 through 22. Eating an animal which walks on all four and has paws, good news for cats, 11, chapter 11, verse 27. Eating or touching the carcass of the weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the skink, and the chameleon, chapter 11, verse 29. Eating or touching the carcass of any creature which crawls on many legs or its belly. Chapter 11, verses 41 to 42. Going to church within 33 days after giving birth to a boy. Chapter 12, verse 4. Going to church within 66 days after giving birth to a girl. Chapter 12, verse 5. Having sex with your mother. Chapter 18, verse 7. Having sex with your father's wife. Chapter 18, verse 8. Having sex with your sister, chapter 18, verse 9. Having sex with your granddaughter, chapter 18, verse 10. Having sex with your half-sister, chapter 18, verse 11. Having sex with your biological aunt, chapter 18, verses 12-13. through Having sex with your uncle's wife, chapter 18, verse 14. Having sex with your daughter-in-law, chapter 18, verse 15. Having sex with your sister-in-law chapter 18 verse 16 having sex with a woman also having sex with her daughter or granddaughter bad news for Elon alan clark chapter 18 verse 17 marrying your wife's sister while your wife still lives chapter 18 verse 18 having sex with a woman during her period chapter 18 verse 19 having sex with your neighbor's wife chapter 18 verse 20 Giving your children to be sacrificed to Molech, chapter 18, verse 21. Having sex with a man as one does with a woman, chapter 18, verse 22. Having sex with an animal, chapter 18, verse 23. Making idols or metal gods, chapter 19, verse 4. Reaping to the very edges of a field, chapter 19, verse 9. Picking up grapes that have fallen in your vineyard, chapter 19, verse 10. Stealing, chapter 19, verse 11. Lying, chapter 19 verse 11, swearing falsely on God's name, chapter 19 verse 12, defrauding your neighbor, chapter 19 verse 13, holding back the wages of an employee overnight, not well observed these days, chapter 19 verse 13, cursing the death or abusing the blind, chapter 19 verse 14, perverting justice, showing partiality either the poor or the rich, chapter 19 verse 15, spreading slander chapter 19 verse 16 doing anything to endanger a neighbor's life chapter 19 verse 16 seeking revenge or bearing a grudge chapter 19 verse 18 mixing fabrics and clothing chapter 19 verse 19 crossbreeding animals chapter 19 verse 19 planting different seeds in the same field chapter 19 verse 19 sleeping with another man's slave i call that rape chapter 19 verse 20 Eating fruit from a tree within four years of planting it. Chapter 19, verse 23. Practicing divine nation or seeking almonds. Tut-tut astrology. Chapter 19, verse 26. Trimming your beard. Chapter 19, verse 27. Cutting your hair at the sides, Chapter 19, verse 27. Getting tattoos. Chapter 19, verse 28. Making your daughter prostitute herself. I call that sex trafficking and human trafficking. Chapter 19, verse 29. Turning to mediums or spiritualists, chapter 19, verse 31. Not standing in the presence of the elderly, chapter 19, verse 32. Mistreating foreigners, the foreigner residing among you, must be treated as your native foreign, chapter 19, verse 33 through 34. Using dishonest weights and scales, chapter 19, verse 35 to 36. Cursing your father or mother, punishable by death, chapter 20, verse 9. 20, verse 9. Marrying a prostitute, divorcee, or widow if you are a priest, chapter 21, verses 7 through 7 and 13. Ensuring a place where there's a dead body as a priest, chapter 21, verse 11. Slaughtering a cow slash sheep and its young on the same day, chapter 22, verse 28. Working on the Sabbath, chapter 23, verse 3. Blasphemy, punishable by stoning to death, chapter 24, verse 14. Inflicting an injury, killing someone else's animal, killing a person must be punished in kind, of chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. Selling land permanently, chapter 25, verse 23. Selling an Israelite as a slave, foreigners are fine, chapter 23. Chapter 25, verse 42. This should cause any Christian to stop and reflect. Does it really make sense that Yahweh himself was so invested in the minutiae of what humans were doing? Or is it more likely that certain people made up rules that they thought made sense for their time and place, which provided them with a certain degree of power? I mean... I... What was it like for me to read all those passages to you? Honestly, I felt... Nauseous, queasy, ill, squeamish. I felt sick. Um, And let me share more of what I mean by I felt sick. Because I it it made me feel that and I'm struggling to get my words together. It's just that the Bible writers, many of them were sinister and evil, inauspicious, wicked, bad, corrupt, perverse, dishonest, foreboding, disastrous, malignant, hurtful, harmful, injurious, dire, poisonous, adverse, unlucky, woeful, ominous, unfortunate, unfavorable, and bad. In fact, the Bible writers, many of them to me were sick ill ailing unwell disordered disease feeble frail impaired weak suffering fever sickly declining unhealthy rapid, indisposed distempered infected invalid delicate infirm rickety peak broken down physically run down confined laid up under medication bedridden poor health nauseated nauseous at death door hospitalized quarantine incurable out of kilter, feeling poorly, sick as a dog in a bad way, not so hot under the weather, not healthy, not hearty, not well. I felt disgusted. I felt sickened. I felt ill. They are of illness. Illness.